hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario. And you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to our Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. On today's show, we're going to be reviewing the two conference final series that were just completed and then preview the matchup for the Stanley Cup final. Uh, very hot, highly anticipated one, I think. But uh, before we get there, uh, look ahead to what you can expect after the Stanley Cup finals. We're reminding you that uh, the hockey season now is a 365-day endeavor on the calendar, and some key dates are coming up with the NHL draft, the awards show, and, uh, of course, free agents frenzy where there's a lot of player movement every summer. That's kind of almost one of my favorite things to look forward to in the summer uh, with regards to the hockey season, AJ. And uh, part and parcel of that is going to be a bit of a coaching carousel that might take place. We've got three veteran coaches on the sidelines, and I think at least two of them are going to be snapped up and talking about Babcock, Tortorella, and Barry Trotz, of course. But I want your thoughts on uh, what might happen with those coaches and or anything that you're looking forward to after the hockey season does start, uh, does end. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it sounds like there's some pretty good rumblings with uh, Tortorella possibly to Philly, Mm -hmm. which would mesh two things I don't like um, (laughs) perfectly for me. So uh, I would love to see Torts in Philadelphia. I can continue just disliking him from, uh, from that standpoint, uh, I, mean, I mean, a good coach, I, I can't take that away from him, but his style has kind of always rubbed me the wrong way uh, personally. Uh, and then Barry Trotz possibly to the Jets. Uh, seems like everybody's crossing their fingers for this kind of homecoming. Uh, he is from Winnipeg originally. So, uh, yeah, those those two. And then, yeah, I guess Babcock is, is out there as well. Um, I think uh, – uh, Jeff uh, Blaso from uh, Detroit should end up somewhere pretty quickly, I would imagine, as well. Um, so there, there's definitely some coaching changes to, to watch there. But, yeah, I agree with you, Paul. The start of free agency is definitely the, the biggest talking point. Uh, I think it's, you know, still pushed back a little bit this year. I yes. believe July 13th yeah. is the kickoff point there. So uh, we we got little less than a month now. It's the 14th of June, so officially less than a month um, till that happens. So looking forward to that. Um, but we got to stand the Cup finals to get through first. Absolutely. And just teasing that topic, though, AJ, is a, a reminder to our listeners that we thin out our schedule in the summer months, and, and you can next expect to hear us, barring any shocking developments, sometime in that late July window. And we encourage you to keep an eye on our Twitter feeds and uh, reach out to us with any questions between now and then, certainly. But uh, we won't be on after this show for about a month. I'm going to miss you, but I will still get you on DraftKings and we can argue back and forth and uh, joke around with each other on the DraftKings format. So I hope a lot of our listeners have uh, jumped to that possibility every morning, Monday to Friday, they can hear us uh, during the offseason. I'll be switching to baseball coverage as well over there, too. So... uh, As as I said today, you know, if people like to continue getting bad takes throughout the summer, they can take on your your baseball bad takes uh, and and go from there. They asked me who was most likely to hit a home run last night. And I said, Vladdy Guerrero is on a heater. I can see it. He had three nice games on the weekend. And after a month long slump, looks ready to go. He had three hits, including a home run late in that game. 
then I picked another game and they said, uh, what, what do you think on the line here over under? And it was a pitching duel that, that, uh, between Philadelphia and my, Miami, I think it was. And the score wound up three to two. So I was two for two on my big predictions in my maiden voyage in baseball. So carve me if you wish, but the, the performance <laughs> is still there. <laughs> in any case, we have a couple of series to review in the conference finals, uh, AJ, that were very different from one another. And let's begin by taking a look at the Rangers versus the Lightning. The head-to-head mat- matchup featured the Rangers sweeping Tampa uh, in three games and outscoring the Bulls 10-4. to Tampa went through this series without Braden Point, who I understand may play in the first game of the Stanley Cup final. We'll get back to that topic specifically a little bit later. But even though they're missing that key piece, they managed to survive uh, the New York Rangers, who were getting outstanding goaltending. It was kind of interesting for me, AJ, and I'll, I'll flip it to you in a sec, but it was kind of interesting to me that Andre Veseleski finally got to face a goalie who was at least his equal in this set. Igor Shosturkin performed admirably at least and, and heroically at other times, and uh, he was a big part of the reason why this thing went six games. We both predicted a six-game output, so I, I don't think outcome rather and I don't think so I don't think either of us were really surprised but there was a point in this series where it looked like it was the Rangers series to lose after they took the first two home games yeah I totally agree I mean you know my uh my initial you know thought around six games was that uh they would take one of the first two in New York obviously then two at home game five dropped to New York and then they win in game six so not exactly when they were down 2-0 I, I was questioning <laughs> Uh, that take, obviously, but uh, they stormed back again, as you said, without Braden Point, um, goaltending pretty solid throughout the series for, for the most part. Um, and yeah, I think what we saw from the Lightning is is that this is a team that's that's motivated to do something that hasn't happened since the early 1980s with the Islanders going four in a row. Um, and, and they're going to do everything they can to, to push for, for that third one here. Well, and AJ, uh, I think it's pretty obvious the turning point in this series was early on in Game 3, that first game in Tampa. The Rangers broke out to a 2-0 lead, so really uh, uh, a lot of callers getting tight among the Tampa fan base at that point. But then Tampa got that first goal back in that game, and all of a sudden things turned. And from that point on for me, it seemed like Tampa was building. It was like a snowball coming down the side of a hill and eventually became a Boulder and then an avalanche, let's say, ensued. Let me say that. How about a trick of a twist of the words there? Uh, An interesting outcome. But uh, I I really thought that that was the Rangers' opportunity to to take a stranglehold, obviously, up up that 2 0 in the third game, but then they just couldn't. And Tampa really showed their mettle in front of their home ice fans that really, they really kind of squeezed the Rangers out the rest of that game and then. It was no looking back, really, without uh, a couple of blips uh, in the play style. But I really didn't feel like Tampa was challenged too much in terms of ultimate outcome after that uh, third game. Yeah, no, I mean, we we talked about this a little bit. I, I think I brought it up on DraftKings that the Rangers had a ton. I, th- I think uh, if I'm remembering back, it was like 21 high danger chances yeah. through those first two games. And then the second two, uh, you know, Tampa got the defense going and, and they limited them to just uh, just uh, I think it was 11 high danger chances in games three and four. Now, I haven't looked at the numbers for for games five and six, but obviously 
you look at the shot totals being really low yeah. for those games. I mean, game six, the Rangers only put 21 shots on net. That's not going to beat Andre Vasilevsky. Now, it's not necessarily a volume question. I mean, Florida in, in their game four put 49 shots on Vasilevsky and he yeah. didn't allow any. Um, so getting shots is not the be all end all, obviously, but uh, if you're only getting 21 shots, there's just not going to be enough of those high danger chances that you need to get offense uh, against Vasilevsky. So, um, you know, we will talk in a bit whether we think Colorado can do that, but obviously uh, that was the key to the Rangers' success. And when that went away, um, so so did the goal scoring. And AJ, before we stop talking about the Rangers, we have to give them some accolades for really a rebuild that has taken place on the fly. And it's been only a couple of years before they have reached this point. And, and you know, it's it's easy to say, oh, they'll be back next year and probably be poised to take another step. It's awfully hard to get into the third round of the NHL playoffs. And just because you do it one year, there's no guarantee that you're going to do it multiple years in a row. So this was an opportunity lost when when you think about it. But it's to uh, for a Rangers team that, that has a lot of pieces in place. I mean, look at their offense. They've got... Sabanajad, they got Kreider, who had outstanding seasons. Artemi Panarin, who was, to me, their signature piece at the start of the season. He didn't get mentioned with the other two guys very often. He finished the playoffs with 16 points, too. So three outstanding forwards. Uh, They got a couple of nice additions at the trade deadline. You wonder if they're going to keep either one. But beyond that, Adam Fox on the blue line looks to be a stud for several years going forward. And, of course, they found the next goalie. In, in the lineage that continues for the Rangers. I mean, they've gone, when you think about it, from from Henrik Lundqvist to Igor Shosturkin, they're going to look at be looking at a, about a 30-year span where their goaltending has been handled by one of the very best in the game. And so that's, that's some serious building blocks in place for the Rangers. And, of course, they ran into the two-time defending champs who showed their medal, and they were almost the equal of them through four games, but uh, the championship uh, caliber of that club certainly made the difference at the end of the day on the western conference side aj i'll leave it to you to to initiate the discussion what were your impressions of that set well i you know i barely remember that it's been what two weeks since that series yeah. ended uh, <laughs> uh look i you know we were both on colorado and, and yeah. rightfully so but to expect that to go down in just four games uh, i think was a bit of a surprise you know to me i think it's telling that uh, they continued to go with Mike Smith, even though, uh, you know, he was struggling. Uh, Miko Koskinen has since that series ended, I, th- I think yesterday, signed yeah. overseas. So he will not be back next year. Um, and so it, it says a lot about their their lack of trust in him, which is a long running issue that this team has had is, is goaltending concerns. Uh, and, and they just weren't able to do anything against McKinnon and and McCarr and and the rest of that that Colorado offense that is really quite good. I think obviously the biggest you know question mark at, at one point was whether or not you know losing Darcy Kemper for the games that they didn't have him was going to impact them extend the series that sort of thing and and again you know I kind of alluded to this I don't know that they really needed Kemper to be great, um, just good enough. And, and Pablo Francis was able to be that kind of just good enough for them uh, and allow Nathan McKinnon and, and the rest of that that group to go to work. I mean, you look at Francis's numbers, 281 is the goals against average. I put that firmly 
in the good enough category yeah. um, when you have those offensive talents. AJ, that's a great point. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because uh, Francis, like you said, didn't have to be lights out, but it just speaks to the value of a competent second goalie. And in Edmonton, they just lost the complete trust of Miko Koskinen. So it's no surprise that he uh, saw fit to leave and leave very quickly after the season wound up because you knew that he, he had uh, soured on the organization just as much as they soured on him. I mean, in a different light, you might say, Mike Smith's a 40-year-old goalie. He's certainly not going to be there for the long haul. And he may be even in a position to call it quits as a career uh, any day now for uh, for what we know. We've heard some indication that he's contemplating that possibility. So if Koskinen was of another mindset, he could have said, you know, I might try to stick around here and make a case to be retained. And But that just wasn't in the cards, it didn't seem. And it was very telling for me that he left as quickly as it did, as he did. Now the Oilers have to be looking at their offseason and saying, we got to get a quality netminder in place. There are certainly a couple available, and <laughs> it'll be a subject we can knock around uh, if if we want later, but uh, or certainly on a, on a subsequent show. But uh, for now, I have to think that that's a priority in the offseason for Edmonton to address that situation. I mean, you're hearing that Jack Campbell is available in Toronto and going to test the free agent market. You're hearing that maybe the goalie in Anaheim, John Gibson, is is uh, going to be up for trade, even though he has a significant cap hit remaining on four, for three, four years on his deal. That's just a couple of, of the pieces that are out there in the net minding bidding wars that are surely going to ensue uh, later this summer. But in terms of what happened in this series in the playoffs for Edmonton, you've got to be uh, just so pleased with the output you got from McDavid and Dreisaitl averaging better than two, two points a game. It's throughout the playoffs. It's been a long time since a couple of players did that for a losing team after three rounds in a playoff. I can't recall one for sure. And you wonder what happens to a guy like Evander Kane. He did certainly show enough to, to merit some consideration in free agency going forward. He got a pretty good opportunity in Edmonton, and you wonder if he feels loyal to the organization. He got 13 goals, four assists, and 15 playoff games this season. They got great mileage out of Zach Hyman in year one of his contract with 16 points in 16 games. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins, underrated though he might be in some quarters, almost a point-per-game guy as well. So they, too, have a lot of pieces in place, and they're in a pretty soft division, AJ. So the future is – it should be bright for this team, but they got to solve the situation in that. Yeah, I don't think there's more uh, more of a breakdown we need there, Paul. I think you covered it pretty well. Thank uh, you. Edmonton's biggest concern going into the season for me was goaltending, and coming out of the season – remains goaltending absolutely my friend well you know what we covered off both series that by the way we both were on avalanche in this set and i would have taken them quickly if i knew that they were going to be uh facing uh, an edmonton team that was going to get very poor inconsistent goaltending worse than i thought they were going to get i thought they would outscore edmund uh, out the abs in a couple of games but and so did you but instead it wound up being a sweep so we were on the right teams we just didn't have the right game length but no surprise to either one of us in terms of what to expect in that stanley cup final in terms of a matchup we got what we figured and we'll be back to talk about that as after we take this break and we'll take a look at the at the stanley cup final predictions and also a couple of other housekeeping issues with the trophy winners that have been announced and trophy winners to come. You're listening to podcast with Statsman and AJ, and we'll be back right after these messages. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back and ready to... Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Take a look at that Stanley Cup final between Colorado and, Anna, and Tampa. A.J. Bond, you tee it up in terms of 
what happened in the regular season between these teams and your early observations overall? Yeah, I mean, uh, you you know, you look at it here. Um, they Colorado uh, had the edge here, I, be, I believe, in, the, in their two limited matchups, 2-0, a four, a three win in Tampa, and then uh, an OT winner, three, two at home in Colorado there. So um, just a slight edge. I mean, we're talking one goal games, uh, limited opportunities to play each other. So really uh, there's not too much we can really take from the regular season series, uh, you know, unless you really want to point to the ads winning both, but they were, they were tight, close games. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll dive us in right into the, the goaltending matchups here on, on one side, we have, you know, no question uh, who's going to be starting. Andre Vasilevsky continues to roll. He's been doing this kind of weird, like slump tear, slump tear thing, right? Like he had the, the couple of rough games against uh, Toronto, then seemed to turn it, turn it around and, you know, just completely dominated Florida then has the rough first game against the Rangers. Second game looks a little bit better. And then again, turns it on from there. So uh, from that standpoint, maybe you should be expecting Colorado to, to kind of get a few goals in this first game uh, later on today uh, or tomorrow rather. And then, uh, you know, from there, maybe Vasilevsky turns it on because that's what we've been seeing so far. On the flip side, we really unfortunately have to say we don't know who's going to start at this point. Um, you know, we can give you the, the reasons each one will go. Darcy Kemper was their starter during the regular season, went 37, 12, and four, five shutouts, 2.54 goals against average. His numbers in the, in his playoff games aren't terrible. They're, they're certainly solid. You, you've got, uh, let's see, playoffs six and two, two, six, five is goals against average. But while he was hurt, Pavel Francouz comes in, uh, comes into the game, after it already started, but was officially credited with the win in game one against Edmonton based on when he took the ice. So wins four games in a row. Again, really solid numbers for him throughout. So I don't know. Do you go back to your starter because he's your starter? He's the guy you trusted at day one of the playoffs and throughout most of the the regular season. Or do you ride the guy who just won four games in a row for you and is really, um, you know, in, in showing some improvement and you don't want to rock the boat. So I think they have a tough choice on their hands here. Um, if I had to guess who would start, I would maybe guess Kemper. If I had to pick who would start, if I was the coach, I would probably go with Francis. So take that for what it's worth. Um, but that's the goaltending matchup as I see it, Paul. That's very interesting that you put it that way, AJ. And I was waiting for you to see if you would cover it off and you did a beautiful job on the, on the goaltending situation. The only thing I'll add is that Vasilevsky has to be in the heads of, of Colorado thinking, this guy's done it. How many series in a row? That's 11 in a row that he's won. And uh, certainly the def- defending champ as far as the Conn Smythe Trophy for a playoff MVP, he's in line possibly to do it again based on what he's doing in this postseason. I mean, he hasn't had the number of shutouts that he's had in prior years, but he's come up large when this team needed to and certainly uh, – kept them in series when it looked like they might not otherwise be. So he certainly helped them hold serve when needed. they needed and certainly delivered the games that they needed to have when they needed a goaltending gem. In terms of the goal, the goaltending on the other side, for my money, I think I would go with Darcy Kemper, AJ, just because, like and you, you said it very well, 
he was the number one guy at the beginning of the season. He was the number one guy at the beginning of the playoffs. And he's healthier now than he was in the last series, obviously, and ready to go by all accounts. So I think the play is to get Kemper in there in game one and see if he can build something here in the final series and, and live up to that number one billing. Otherwise, they have a viable option in game two. Should they lose game one? I think it's an easy switch to paddle Francis in game two. So they have an option there. Uh, but very, very odd pairing of, of goaltending situations. One couldn't be more different than the other. Not to say that either one's bad, though, because Colorado's guys have been really good, as you suggested. How about the blue lines, AJ? What do you see on the Colorado blue line that you really like? Well, I think obviously Kale McCarr, right? Like uh, second in defenseman scoring during the postseason here, five goals, 17 assists. They're getting really good production out of Devin Taves as well. He's got 13 points, so just shy of one a game. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's the kind of primary driver here. Um, Bowen Byram has looked decent, seven assists in his uh, playoff experience. His minutes are up. Uh, with Sam Garrard being out, he's kind of consistently, you look early on in the Nashville series, he's pushing about 14, 15 in that range. Um, and then during the Edmonton series, he's closer to 20. So getting some more ice time, I think that's good for him. He's an offensive player. Um, and then going, you know, as, as I jokingly like to call them with the, the Johnson brothers on kind of a more defensive side, uh, and then Josh Manson rounding out the group. So, I like the fact that they they have a stud in Kale McCarr, but they're not entirely dependent on him solely for the scoring. The fact that they have Devin Tays, who can also do that. Bowen Byram has chipped in some offense here or there as well. Uh, and then several really quality shutdown guys and some depth. I mean, Ryan Murray could get into a game. He's certainly capable. Curtis McDermott, another guy capable of logging, you know, in that 15-minute kind of shutdown defensive role. So, I really like Colorado's blue line. Paul, how do you compare it to the Tampa blue line? Well, I love that you pointed out the depth here in Colorado's case, and the same applies uh, to Tampa. And the playoffs are a war of attrition, and you need seven, eight, nine guys that have the NHL experience, or you trust a young rookie or AHLer in this role. Colorado certainly has that, and I think it's obvious that Tampa has too. They uh, certainly are going to roll behind Victor Hedman, who is – arguably the best defenseman in hockey any year. And uh, certainly he's been challenged in that regard. I don't think he's going to win the Norris this year, AJ, uh, but he's in the, in the discussion as well. He's that good, that consistent. Statistically, he's coming off his best year in the regular season of his career. And he's kept it up in the playoffs. He's just a stud who eats up a lot of minutes and plays in every situation for them, but he's ably supported. He's partnered with Jan Ruta, who is kind of the no name defensive stay-at-home type who guards, binds the store when head and goes up the ice. And uh, so he's a good foil for him because he's an experienced hand. Then the second pairing, they've got a guy who was a former captain of the aforementioned Rangers, Ryan McDonough, who's manning the second pairing. And, and I don't think he gets his due, AJ. He's so much in the shadow of, of several other players in Tampa, but he's such a quality player. He was known for his offensive game and his defensive game in New York. But he's playing in the shadows of Hedman and doesn't get the credit that he did, that maybe he is due for what he's doing for this team. He, more in a defensive role, obviously, in a shutdown pairing with Eric Chernak, who Cernak and Cernak is a giant of a defenseman, mobile for his size, and another quality defensive defenseman. So they got two good offensive pieces and 
I would say, four quality defensive-minded pieces among the top four defensemen. They rounded out with Mikhail Sergachev, who had a bit of a coming-out party in the last series, AJ, with a couple of uh, key plays in, in, a deci- in a decisive game, showing off his offensive abilities as he got man- managed to get pucks through. And the way that he did it wasn't with the big slapper, too. I'll point that out. And and there's a lot of people that malign some of the defensemen that play the point in the NHL uh, blue line in the offensive zone. Because you don't see the big slappers anymore, but the key is to get the puck on the net in traffic and good things happen. And he was involved in a few of those plays, decisive ones. Then they round up the six-pack with Zach Lagosian. This guy is a, such a hard rock, a quality defensive defenseman that's a, also a good foil for Sergeyev. So the makeup of their top six is outstanding. They've got three quality offensive pieces. And I, like I said, every one of them can play the defensive side of the puck. Maybe Sergeyev, the weakest of the six-pack in that regard. But in their own end, it's awfully hard to get good quality chances on Vasilevsky when this group is on. And uh, they rounded out with reserves like Cal Foote and Darren Radish, who has had a cup of coffee in the NHL. NHL but Foote comes from a uh, great hockey, hockey legacy in his family. And so, you know, he plays plays the game well in the back end too. So I, I don't know if you can ha- you see anything decisive, AJ, in terms of the goal, the defense matchup in this series. I'm going to call it even but I'm going to also give you an opportunity to maybe share your grade in terms of an analysis here. Yeah. I mean, I think I've slightly favor uh, Colorado here only because, you know, you mentioned McDonough's offensive upside. We haven't really seen that in the postseason. much more defensively minded. Um, I will say it evens out for me more if Sergeyev can play the way he did in the last two games that he does, you know, heading into this next series because his playoffs was really quiet and it made for them to have pretty much, they were much more of a headman and then nobody else from an offensive standpoint. So if they can get a little bit um, from Sergeyev heading into the finals, if he's got some momentum here, I think that could be a game changer for them and, and really even things out. About on the offensive side, AJ, I'm going to lead us into the discussion with Colorado's makeup and then leave it to you to come back with what Tampa's going to counter with. But uh, the, the Avalanche have shifted things around. We've been used to seeing the big three up front, uh, Miko Rantanen with McKinnon and Landeskog on the top line. They've just shuffled, had to shuffle things around because they're, they're dealing with a key injury on their team, and that's Nazem Kadri with a thumb that was, I think, broken and, he, and re- surgically repaired. Uh, during the second round of the playoffs. So there's there's some uncertainty about his availability with the start of the, the Stanley Cup final. That could really tip the scales, too, when you think about the fact uh, what Kadri's meant to this team at both ends of the ice, but primarily offensively in that second-line center role. They've had to shuffle things up, and they've had to break up that top line. The beneficiary, from the DFS standpoint, is Valery Nichushkin. He's had a very good playoff series season so far and and a pretty good season in the NHL as well maybe his best as a pro fitting in very nicely here wherever they put him and now he's he's in a great spot for DFS players as uh, the first line right winger and uh, Miko Rantanen instead drops to that second line they put put him in at center ice AJ I'm I'm curious to see how this works out flanked by Arturi Lekkanen an addition from the Montreal uh, at the trade deadline who's performed well for this club. And Andre Borakowski, an underrated guy who's very capable scorer and uh, is maybe the shooter on the second line unit here. Third line, they've got uh, an interesting mix. Alex Newhook getting promoted after uh, a couple of 
so-so years, he's getting a chance to get a look at the top nine on a regular basis. JT Comfer's had a very nice playoff for this team. And Nicholas Obey-Kubel is the guy that rounds out the, the third forward unit. Then it goes to Jason Megna, Darren Helm, Logan O'Connor as your fourth line. These guys probably won't play much more than five to seven minutes a game, but but uh, Helm is, is a guy that, that uh, could provide some some quality minutes if they need to shuffle things up on that third unit. So I like the makeup of the top six, but it'll be a lot different story for me if Nazem Kadri can come back early in the series and resume his role. And then what does it do to the rest of the lineup here? They, they really will miss him no matter what, uh, if, he, if he's out for a couple of games. So a very strong offense. They'll come at you in waves when they're playing the best hockey. I'm curious to see how they match up to what uh, – the defense that Tampa will put up. But what about the Tampa offense, AJ? How do they counter what Colorado's throwing up? Well, it starts with the uh, potential addition. The first thing we should point out, no pun intended, is the intentional return of Braden Point. Uh, at, at initial most recent practice, they had him on a third line with Ross Colton and Nick Paul. Um, so they, you know, I, I kind of thought if he came back, they'd stick him back in the top six right away. So, um, probably a wait and see game, whether that means he'll play game one in a third line role, or if they were just using that to kind of ease him in and, and they'll wait to use him in game two, um, could still be up in the air as they, they, you know, figure out how, how he's dealing with that injury. But as it stands right now, based on those line combinations, we'll have Palat, Stamkos and Kucherov in the top line. Um, and really just, I think that matches up really well with Colorado's group, you know, a couple studs and, and kind of a, a, a plugger, if you will, not, not to say bad things about, about Palat uh, there, but uh, you know, when you're playing with Stamkos and Kucherov, that's, that's kind of your role. Then they've got Brandon Hagel, who they added at the deadline, Anthony Sorelli and Alex Kalorin as the second group. Again, uh, maybe not the same uh, talent level as having, you know, uh, Branton in, in that center role, um, but certainly a capable trio. I mentioned the third line already, and then you get a fourth line of Patrick Maroon, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and Corey Perry with Riley Nash potentially waiting in the wings as as an addition there. And that's just a gritty, tough veteran line to play against. I mean, we we talk about this team going third for its third straight Stanley Cup. Patrick Maroon is going for his fourth straight Stanley Cup. So, I mean... Uh, this is a guy that knows how to win. I think in terms of, of that line, you absolutely give the edge uh, to Tampa in, in terms of the fourth line. Even if Andrew Cogliano is back from, from his injury, he seems less likely to play game one, maybe a little bit later. He would kind of add some of that physicality to, to the Colorado fourth line. But even if he's there, I think this is a mismatch um, for, for them here. So, a lot of it depends on who's, you know, who's healthy, who's not. Um, I think point gives them a better third line. But as you said, if Nazem Kadri's back, then that shuffles up the first line and second line. So overall, I think these forward groups are generally pretty evenly matched. They are, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give Tampa a very slight edge, and it's basically mostly on the backs of the bottom six forwards here. You mentioned Raiden Point's impending return. That's a huge boost to that team. Ross Colton and Nick Paul particularly have had very good playoffs for them. So it's a solid third line. I have uh, some misgivings about Colorado's third line. So I think Tampa gets the edge there. And then there's a clear advantage to me 
for the fourth line that Tampa's going to throw out, even though they're only going to play five to seven minutes. Maroon and uh, Perry have been noticeable, uh, along with Belmare, in, in every game that Tampa's won. They've had a, a piece of that, those wins too. So they're getting a lot of mileage out of the bottom six, and I think that might be it. It's the thing that tips the scales because I think top six on each side are quite comparable when you think about the overall skills Probably the two-way game of Tampa is a little stronger than what Colorado offers, but Colorado's firepower a little bit stronger than what Tampa offers in that top six. So overall, I'm going to give a very slight advantage just because I think the bottom six for Tampa is going to be a factor in this series. So uh, check mark there. I got it even on the blue line, and I got Tampa winning in the net. So you can, uh, I'll tip my hand now, AJ. I'll, I'll go first in terms of the ultimate outcome. I'm curious to see what you say. But I think the champs are poised for a three-peat. Uh, I'm picking Tampa in six games to win it on home ice. Uh, uh, I, the two regular season games that they played against one another were both Colorado wins. But interesting to note that they scored a total of six goals over those two games. And I think if you told the Tampa coaching staff that they would be in games with Colorado where they'd keep them to an average of about three goals a game, they'd think, we have a shot. We have a real shot here. But if Carol- Colorado's offense goes unchallenged like they did in so many other games in the regular season. That's Colorado's big advantage. If their offensive firepower can outshoot what Tampa's defensive approach brings to the table, then you can make the case for Colorado. I just won't. And I, and I think defense wins championships and Tampa's going to get their third in a row. Well, I've avoided answering this question <laughs> at any yeah. point because I'm back and forth on it. In fact, if you head over to Rotowire and check out the latest NHL bets article that I put together there, I have my NHL best bet for Avalanche Lightning, and it's Tampa Bay plus one and a half games at minus 130, which means the Lightning don't have to win for you to cash. Colorado also doesn't have to win for you to cash. There's scenarios where either team could win and you cash in on that bet. So, um, I guess it's time for me to put the rubber to the road. And Paul, I, oh man, I, because you're on Tampa, let's do this. Because you're on Tampa, I will go with the abs. I'm going to say the abs in seven. Um, okay. They're going to need their home ice advantage here. I, I am really not sold on that. In fact, if you ask me tomorrow, I might be on Tampa. Um, the goaltending is huge. Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. Is, is the biggest thing here, but I like the offense. I think Colorado knows that this is their chance. This is their opportunity. Um, and doing, you know, getting three in a row, like I said, it hasn't happened since the Islanders did four in the eighties. Um, they're going to be hard pressed to do it. So uh, mostly because it's more interesting if we're on opposite teams for the rest of the series, Paul, I'm going to take the abs in seven, uh, at least for the next 15 minutes. All right. Very good. Well, I'm glad we're on opposite sides because then we have something to talk about on our next episode, AJ. And and so basically that's the coverage that we're going to do for the playoffs. But there's been some news about trophies handed out and some trophies yet to be handed out. So I want to address that now, AJ. And we'll start with the ones that have been handed out already, beginning with the Jack Adams Award. Daryl Sutter doing an outstanding job in Calgary, wins it over Andrew Brunette, and Gerard Gallant, are you okay with this decision? Any comments? Um, yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, I, you know, I'm 
Look, I, I'm going to be blunt about this. The Jack Adams has been ruined for me. Um, you have the winningest coach in Penguins history has never even been nominated for it. Um, so at this point, it's a garbage trophy as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they don't give they don't give Mike Sullivan enough credit. You know, they just want to say, oh, well, he coaches Crosby and Malkin. And so it, it doesn't matter. Like those guys have been injured for huge chunks of the season um, you know, he coaches a phenomenal team. So I, I honestly couldn't care less about this award anymore um, because I don't think the right people necessarily get nominated for it. No, I think I think you certainly make the case for him over Andrew Burnett to be included in this mix. Burnett had, had a pretty good team in Minnesota handed to him and did a nice job there for sure. But I think Pittsburgh's coach did an outstanding job, to your point, and, uh, and should have been the third guy in this mix. I have no quarrel with Gerard Gallant, who's been a, a fine addition behind the bench in New York, and certainly Daryl Sutter. We know what he's all about. He's also a great coach, so I'm think, thinking that had a lot to do with his winning this award with Calgary's outstanding season. Uh, the biggest part of that equation, the Masterton Trophy, AJ. That's one where I think I have a little bit of trouble with the way this thing turned out. Carey Price won it over Kevin Hayes and Zdeno Chara. You can certainly make a case for all three men. I wouldn't have picked Carey Price to win this one. I would have given it to the big defenseman. In, on the island myself yeah um i might have gone with kevin hayes just everything he had to play through sure. this year um off the ice and and dealt with some injuries too and, and stuff like that but i i don't i don't have an issue with the three guys that were nominated by any stretch of the imagination i, th- I think they all were deserving in their their own ways and their own right uh, I, I would have ranked them Chara first, Hayes second, and Price third for my money, and I won't get into reasons why, but uh, I, I think that was a slight against a guy who's been a, a soldier in this league for two decades and never really embarrassed himself, and I'll leave it at that. Frank Selke, the defense, the best defensive forward in the NHL, Patrice Bergeron over Alexander Barkov and Elias Lindholm. You could make a great case for all three of these guys but I think they might have to consider renaming this award the Patrice Bergeron Award when he retires. I mean, Paul, you took the words out of my mouth. Like, the guy can't win. The guy can't win it this many times without them. You know, maybe if they want to hyphenate it, like the Selkie Bergeron Award <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, we don't need to get too cute with it. But uh, look, I, I would just say for a generation of fans my age, you know, I don't really know who Frank Selkie was. Um, so to rename it Bergeron makes sense to me. That's, that's not a slight to, you know, older NHL fans who, who might have a more vested interest in that. But uh, it certainly makes sense to me to consider some sort of hyphen or, or rename situation because this is a guy that just continues to win the trophy. It's, it's basically his. That's true. And for people of another generation, Frank Salke Jr. was a, uh an off-ice key to the success of the Montreal Canadiens of a bygone generation. And uh, the name is synonymous with success in the hockey history annals of the early part of the first 50 years, well, the first 50 years of the NHL. He was a significant participant in those. Lady Bing Award, the best, the most gentlemanly player, the guy basically basically plays a clean game and is a high scorer and, and or a very key defenseman. And it's interesting 
that a couple of defensemen got into the mix here in terms of the final three, AJ. It's been a long time. I don't think I can ever recall when two defensemen were among the three nominees. You expect the defensemen to get in the way of forwards and get a lot, a number of penalties just because, because of that, the odd trip or hold or whatever. But uh, Jacob Slavin in there for the second year, and oh, he won it last year. And Jared Spurgeon, a guy who's smallish in stature and manages to play with a high, uh, high offensive upside and yet very strong defensive acumen. They made the list here, but the winner was Kyle Connor, who had an outstanding offensive season and doesn't really get too much involved in in, uh, stupid activity on the ice or or even unusual penalties. He keeps the penalty minutes low, and yet he did enough to almost score score close to 50 goals this season. So I think you can make a case for all three of these guys, but Kyle Connor is certainly a deserving candidate in my mind. Yeah, to your point about the defensemen, only four defensemen have actually ever won the Selkie Trophy. Um, Red Kelly obviously did it, you know, multiple times. But if we're um, uh, counting him as just as just one, uh, then yeah, really limited. So to have two guys in the mix, but Kyle Connor took one penalty this year, one minor penalty. Like that's that's just ridiculous to do. Um, it, you know. That your stick gets in somebody's skate, like somebody stacks on your stick, you usually get called for a trip. Yeah. Right. The fact that Kyle Connor didn't even have that happen to him, um, you know, more than one time is is just says a lot about how he plays the game. And so I think he was the perfect, perfect winner for this award. I'm sorry, he had four penalty minutes. I should clarify, he had two penalties. Yeah, boom. <laughs> two penalties, four minutes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think certainly very deserving, especially for a guy who almost put up 100 points. AJ, those are the awards that we know about right now. There's going to be four more at least handed out between games three and game four of the final. I guess there's a couple more, too, after that with the Ted Lindsay Award voted on by the players. But we'll cover off the other four major awards now and get your slant on on the finalists that have all been revealed. I'll get the thumbnail on the James Norris Trophy with three defensemen, Victor Hedman, who had, as I said, his best offensive season of his career with 85 points in 82 games and a plus 26. Roman Yossi led the Nashville Predators with 96 points in 80 games, plus 13. And Cale McCarr, in 77 games, compiled 86 points and an incredible plus 48 uh, mark there. You can make the case for all three of these guys, AJ. I'm going to say that Roman Yossi wins this award Based on that ridiculous point total, he almost became uh, one of the rare breed of hockey players, a 100-point scoring defenseman in the hockey history. And he did it on a team where he was the leading scorer on this club. So you can't say he relied on the offensive help provided by uh, teammates of Hedman and Makar in their respective situations as much as Yossi did driving the bus in Nashville. And that's really why I give them my vote for the Norris to Roman, Roman Yossi. I'm curious to see if you disagree. I would go with Kel McCarr um, in part because of that plus minus number. And the reason I point that out um, is the fact that 34 of his 86 points were scored on the power play. You don't get a plus on a power play, uh, a power play goal um, or, or point or whatever. So um, the fact that he has the, the best plus minus of all these guys. He's second in the point total. Um, I think he edges out, you know, 
we can't just, you know, if we want to make it the opposite of the heart trophy for, you know, guy who has the most points wins the goal and wins the trophy. We can do that. But I think the plus minus here being so astronomically higher than the other two. I mean, it's almost, it's like three times Yossi's, uh, you know, almost double Hedman's, I, I think gives uh, the edge to him in, in my opinion. And take us through the resident, take us through the resident candidates there, buddy. Yeah, so uh, Igor Shesterkin led, uh, you know, led um, in in uh, the save percentage uh, and uh, goals against average at, at two point oh seven and, and nine three five. UC Saros led the way in wins with thirty eight, and then Jacob Marsham led the way in shutouts with nine. Um, so each of the three candidates leading in one category or another. Um, for my money, I go with Markstrom. The nine shutouts is kind of the difference maker when you figure he was second in save percentage, second in goals against average, first in the shutouts, and then just behind Saros in the wins. I also, you know, I know it's not really Shesterkin's fault because he got hurt a, a little bit, but he did not play as many games as, as the other guys here. Now, that could have helped his win total and maybe his shutout total, so – um, you know, but the fact that he only played 53 to the 63 and, and 67 for, for Markstrom and Saros, respectively, I give the edge to Markstrom, but I think all three uh, really are good candidates here. Yeah, this is probably going to be one of the closest votes from the first to third, AJ. I'm going to opt for Shesterkin to get the nod. He was also nominated for the Hart Trophy, just to tell you how valuable he was to the New York situation with the Rangers. He had the best a save percentage and the best goals against average among these three guys. And they were probably tops in the league overall for players that played a certain minimum number of games as well. So to me, I think Shesterkin's going to win this one. And uh, so we're, we're two for two in terms of disagreeing, but I wonder if we're going to find a consensus here when we get to the Calder trophy and I'll describe the candidates, AJ, Michael Bunting, uh, 25, 26 years of age. So a lot of people have an issue with the fact that a guy of that age gets a chance to be in the running, but they amended the rules. So that I think that's the cutoff almost at that age because several years ago, Igor Larionov won it when he was in his 30s. So uh, Bunting, for his part, though, got a very good, a real good assignment to play with Matthews and Marner in Toronto. And he made the most of it offensively to lead the league among first-year players with 23 goals, 40 assists for 63 points plus 27, much higher than the other two guys. Again, possibly more a function of who he was playing that with uh, than the situations that the other two players found themselves in. Moritz Sider, look, at, I had to laugh in the exhibition games when I heard about this guy because they were Detroit pundits were touting him as the next Nicholas Litcherman. And I'm thinking, okay, slow your roll, folks. This guy hasn't played a game yet in the NHL. But when I got a look at him, the size was there, the physicality was there, and then he started to play and produced 50 points in his first season as a pro. 82 games played, he didn't miss one. He had a minus nine, but that was a function of being on a terrible team in Detroit that was up against some of the toughest teams in hockey in that division. So uh, an outstanding season for him by any standard when you look at what he was up against and the fact that he produced so much offense was a real eye-opener for me in that Detroit search circumstance. Then we got the highlight reel waiting to happen. That's Trevor Zegers. Of course, he scored a couple of Michigan goals, was involved in several highlight reel plays all season long in Anaheim, and 
he's going to be the flag bearer of this team's fortunes over the next several years, I think. But uh, in year one, uh, the first complete season that he had, 75 games played, 23 goals, 38 assists, 61 points, a minus 21. Bit of a blight when you consider plus minus. The plus minus was so poor. But he, uh, like I said, was fun to watch and certainly productive offensively. AJ, I'm giving this award to Moritz Sider. I think I don't think it's going to be close. I think he's going to win it by a pretty good margin because of the positioning plays and how he did it with the physicality and and the offensive upside that he showed on a team that was an also ran in the NHL. Man, I just assumed we'd be on opposite sides. I assumed you were going to go with Bunting here, um, you know, because he's a Leaf, and why wouldn't you? But um, I agree with you on Sider, and in part because one one thing you didn't mention, 21 power play points for Sider as well. So definitely producing. Uh, that's the most of any rookie in the, in the league ahead of, you know, teammate Lucas Raymond and Trevor Zegras, who had who had 17 uh, power play points as well. So while his point total is not as high, I think the fact he played all 82 games, he does have a good, uh, solid, you know, power play base here as well. I think you can overlook a, a minus nine that's not drastically skewed in either direction. So I will agree with you on this one, Paul. Maurice Sider. All right, my friend. Give us the thumbnail on the Hart Trophy candidates, and then I'll tell you who I think is going to win. Yeah, we've got uh, your your fella, uh, Austin Matthews, 60 goals this year, 106 points overall. Um, then, of course, Connor McDavid is here, uh, played 80 games this year, led the league with 123 points, including 44 goals. And then, as you mentioned, Igor Shesterkin, uh, the netminder in the mix for this as well. I think for me, it's probably pretty clear that Shesterkin is probably out as far as the heart goes. Um, I guess maybe if they give the Vesna to uh, Markstrom or, or somebody else, but I don't see them giving Shesterkin both the Vesna and the heart trophy. I just don't see voters going that way. So I think for me, it comes down to Matthews and McDavid. And as you know, Paul, I have long held to the theory that McDavid is not the most valuable player in the league. He is the best player in the league. I will not argue that. I just don't think he is the most valuable player as he, uh, you know, if they lose him, they still have dry sidle. Um, so for me, I think it's Austin Matthews for the win. I think overcoming his loss while Toronto does have some capable players uh, on the team that would potentially step up if he was out, you know, Tavares, Marner, Nylander. Uh, I do think he is the most valuable player on his team and therefore um, should be the most valuable player in the league based on this trio that was nominated. I, as you know, I still believe the most valuable player in the league is Nathan McKinnon. Um, and he should have been nominated here and should have won. I will stand by that. Uh, I will plant my flag on that one forever. But among the three options, Austin Matthews. Yeah, I think that uh, McKinnon should have been in there ahead of Shesterkin as well. I agree with you. But even so, I would give the award to Matthews just because of that very rare plateau. He reached 60 goals. We haven't seen that for many years. And that just told part of his story. He developed a 200-foot game. He was a physical force. We saw that in the first round against Tampa where he was among the leading physical players in terms of hits that were made. And he got in the way of a lot of shots too. So showing the development of a 200-foot game, I still don't think you can say that about Connor McDavid, even though the plus-minus favors McDavid. 
Uh, I think Matthews showed better in terms of the overall game between the two guys. And I stress again, this is a regular, all these awards are voted on based on regular season play. If you incorporate what happened in the playoffs, McDavid wins this in a runaway, I think. But based on the regular season, I'm taking Austin Matthews too. So basically, AJ, we agreed on two of them. We disagreed on two others. And that's that's kind of a neat way to to wind things up in terms of the coverage of our of our seventh year on this on this August program. We're going to remind our listeners, we're not going to do a, a DFS segment. There's only one game. The series starts tomorrow, and we didn't feel it was appropriate to, to do that. We might throw one in there. Uh, we, well, we won't get a chance to throw any more in there. So we want to thank FanDuel and DraftKings for their support of our work this season. And we'll remind you that we have a couple of upcoming dates to keep an eye on. The amateur draft, 7th and 8th of July. Free agency signing period, July 13th is when it starts, and I'll be all over my Twitter feed trying to find out which insiders that I follow will will break some stories there. And I might like to stay on the patio and watch my TV outside with the great coverage we get in Canada of that first day because it's always a lot of fun. But, AJ, it's been my pleasure to work with you on, on our sixth year together on this broadcast. And this is a good time for me to say thank you for, for what you bring to the table every week. been a lot of fun working with you. And uh, do you have any closing thoughts before we uh, call it a season? Well, just echo, echo uh, thanks uh, for you uh, leading the way on this. You you do all the hard work. I just show up and, and talk. Um, I want to thank all of our, our listeners out there, everybody who tunes in, uh, watches, you know, these last ones in the playoff have been online. So watches online, tunes in, uh, whatever platform you check us out in. And you'll still find plenty of hockey coverage over at Rotowire over the summer. Uh, I'll be doing some more soccer work over the summer as well and, and heading into next year. So you can check that out. Paul's doing baseball um, for, for us and, and over on DraftKings as well. So we'll, we'll be around. There'll be plenty of stuff for you to find and uh, just enjoy the NHL playoffs. But thanks first and foremost for listening uh, to us ramble on every week about uh, our favorite hockey topics. Excellent words, AJ. Well said. In the meantime, as always, we, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter anytime. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. So long, everybody. Have a great summer. Bye.